Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Throughout history, women have been disparaged if they took important leadership roles. Not just Cleopatra, Marie Antoinette, and Catherine the Great, but also Theresa May, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, to name just a few. In her latest book, Eleanor Herman, Whittley addresses the long history of double standard practices that continue to persist today. Off with her head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power is published by William Morrow, and it brings New York Times bestselling author Eleanor Herman to our show now. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, but 3,000 years? Did it begin in our culture when Eve was blamed for giving Adam the forbidden fruit after God had told both Eve and Adam not to eat it? <laughs> You know, I, I searched misogyny back as far as I could go, and I found it in the uh, earliest biblical texts and in uh, Greek mythology. And I imagine it was around a long time before mm -hmm. writing was invented. It probably goes back to the cave. Yeah. But uh, in terms of religion, didn't the church father say that because of what Eve did, all women were tainted in sinful, deceitful temptresses? How much, responsibility, how much responsibility should Adam bear for that? Well, you know, if you read the book of Genesis, God told Adam before Eve was even created, don't you eat that fruit. And then it doesn't say exactly how Eve learned, whether Adam told her or God told her. But finally, she talks to the serpent. And then she says, you know what, Adam, we need to eat this fruit. And Adam very well knew he shouldn't eat the fruit. But the church fathers blamed all women because of what Eve did, mm. uh, getting man ousted out, out of paradise forever. But, you know, shouldn't we also blame all men for being like Adam, for, for being bumbling idiots, too <laughs> stupid to know? a terrible idea when they hear one because he could have said eve i'm not eating this apple god told god us not no to. right yeah god said no don't do it yeah but he but he didn't maybe he just you know he was helpless against her wily seductive and manipulative ways are you focusing mainly on western culture mainly on western culture in this book haven't women been treated in misogynistic uh, treated misogynistically throughout the world. There's been foot binding in China, harems in many countries, bride burning in India. And the latest news from Afghanistan is that the Taliban have been reimposing restrictions on women. Right. Right. It's it's pretty it's everywhere that that I've looked. And in some countries, it's much worse than uh, than we have it here, clearly. But if I was to look at misogyny in all cultures around the world, it wouldn't be a book. It would be a, an encyclopedia. So, yeah. you know, I mentioned some other cultures, but I pretty much focus on so-called Western cultures. Well, it just keeps on happening. Turkey just recently withdrew from a treaty that protects women against violence and discrimination. Yes. And, and then there are things like uh, last month, a cafe owner in Australia suggested that all women who had their period should wear a big red sticker so yes. everyone knew that they were going to be in a really foul mood and treat them with greater sensitivity. Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, so from the ancient world through the European Renaissance up to the most recent U.S. elections, you write that what you call the misogynist handbook has been used <laughs> to put uppity women in their place. Um, so should we look at some of the, the women of the, of the, the Bible, for example, There's a, or from the past? Absolutely. Which one do you want to talk about? What about Jezebel? 
who's known in the Bible as the slut of Samaria. A slut of, I mean, everybody, I was at a uh, symposium over the weekend, the History Book Festival, and I asked this audience of, I don't know, 150 people, you know, has anyone heard the term Jezebel? Everybody raised their hands. Everyone knows that Jezebel is not a good woman. She's a slut. She's a seductress. And when you look at the biblical book of Kings uh, and really dig into her story, she was probably in her 50s or 60s. Uh, by the time uh, she was at the window painting her eye makeup on. <laughs> her son uh, was king, and the uh, Elisha, the, the prophet of, uh, of Yahweh, the, the Old Testament biblical uh, god, uh, was very mad at Jezebel because she had brought uh, other gods into the country when she married uh, the king. So he arranged to have her son murdered, uh, and appointed another man as king of Israel. And then this, this new king clatters up to the palace, and Jezebel knows he's there to kill her. So what does she do? She gets dressed up regally and does her face and her hair, and then she sneers something derisive out of the window, an insult to him. Um, and it's clearly not that she's trying to seduce him in the hopes that he won't kill her. He, she knows he's going to kill her. She just wants him to know that he, he should be aware he's killing a queen of Israel. So, you know, it, it's just one of those stories where um, women are just so often made out to be sluts, no but matter what the, the situation is. Didn't she also worship the wrong God? She worshiped Baal rather than Yahweh. Right. According to the, the writers of, of King, she, she worshipped uh, the wrong gods. Uh, and there was clearly religious turmoil and conflict in the Levant uh, in that time period. Now, Elisha, known as the prophet of God, there's a very interesting verse where he's on his way uh, to, to see her. And he, he 42 children are laughing at him because he's bald. And so uh, he calls uh, bears to come and kill the 42 kids. I mean, there are all kinds of these things you don't learn in Sunday school, in the Bible, that that it's never part of a minister's sermon. Uh, But so he's known as being a righteous man of God because he worshiped the right God. But, you know, and then he killed hundreds of people after he killed Isabel, uh, excuse me, Jezebel, because uh, these people had also worshiped the wrong God. So, yeah, let's blame the woman. Mm -hmm. This is the the thread throughout. Blame the woman and give the men a boys will be boys it's only locker room talk pass it applies also to some other women in the bible delilah mary magdalene yes mary magdalene is interesting um, because she was one of those rare women who didn't become a prostitute until 500 years after her death you know, she, <laughs> if, if you read the uh, the books in the new testament she was uh, a wealthy woman who supported jesus's uh, ministry and traveled around with him and the disciples. It did say that he cast seven uh, demons out of her. We're not sure what that meant in a first century AD context. Did, did she have perhaps an illness that required seven rituals to, uh, to cure her? We, we don't know, but there was no mention of prostitution at all. And in the year 591 AD, uh, Pope Gregory I conflated her with, with the sinful woman uh, who had uh, bathed Jesus's feet with her tears and, and dried them with her hair, which, again, it wasn't said that that woman was a prostitute either, though she was sort of assumed to be. And uh, talk about people called sluts, Cleopatra, who was the most intelligent, powerful, and wealthy woman in the ancient world, was also labeled a slut. Why was she blamed for the treachery and weakness of her lover, the Roman general Mark Antony? 
So, as I said, the one way to ruin a, reputa- a woman's reputation um, then and now, though particularly then, I imagine, um, is to call her a slut. And you know, as far as we know, she we only know of two lovers that Cleopatra had. Uh, one was Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. and then the other was the Roman general Mark Antony, who she married. Um, but so they, the Roman patriarchy, uh, the leaders of the Roman Republic said that, you know, she had hundreds of lovers and thousands of lovers. And it was hard for them to blame Mark Antony, who was one of them. He was from a um, an illustrious Roman family. He was a, a, a general. Uh, so it was it was sort of like the Adam and Eve story. Let's blame the woman rather than, you know, Mark Antony was a drunken womanizing fool. Over, his ambitions were way above his his uh, abilities. He wanted to be emperor of the East. And so, um, you know, the the patriarchy just blamed her. She seduced him. She manipulated him. She unmanned him. It's really not his fault. So this leads to the obvious question. Why do men and other women wish to tear down ambitious, intelligent, accomplished women in positions of power while often treating men in the same positions with deference? You know, I th- I think it's I think it's subconscious. I think it's a lot of it is conditioning. I think there were reasons for um, differences between the the sexes and how we look at them and how we deal with them going back tens of thousands of years that were probably important to human survival and were rooted in biology. I think part of that is that men ha- all over the world throughout time have been conditioned to to feel that their most important role in life is to provide for their families. And suddenly women are competing with that. You know, when my dad graduated college in 1950, he was one of three white men sitting in chairs for a job interview at the local newspaper. Um, these days, you have women, you have people of color. You, it, it's just a much bigger pool of talent. And I think that um, a lot of men feel very threatened by that. And I think, you know, in terms of women, it's it's funny, but mis- we all have misogynistic tendencies. And I have found, I have found we some- We all do? Um, we do, we do. Uh, we I do. plead innocent or as innocent as I can be under the circumstances. Okay, so let me just tell you this. So, you know, I've been, I locked myself in a room and wrote this book for two years investigating misogyny. And then last week, my husband said, you know, I just got back from uh, a checkup at the doctor's. And I asked him, what did he say? Hmm. And my husband said, she said, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, I am so conditioned still to think that, um, you know, the doctor is going to be a he, the senator is going to be a he, the airline pilot is, is going to be a he. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm sexist or misogynistic, but I think we, we all have these little tendencies that are, are conditioned. But we grew up in a world in which uh, pretty much all the doctors were men. Things have only changed fairly recently. You're just falling back on your experiences throughout all most of your lifetime. Correct. And that's why I think we should give ourselves and, and others to a large extent um, 
a break. I mean, in my case, it was different. I spent two years focusing on the subject and I still do it. Mm -hmm. About a month ago, I was asked to send a bio to a website because I had written a, a piece for them on the book. And I started writing, oh, I've written all these books. I'm a New York Times bestseller. I've done all these TV shows. And then in the margins of track changes, I wrote, does this sound too boastful? Should I be a little more modest? And then I thought, Eleanor, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you just wrote this book. And, and then I added, you know, would a, my God, would a man ever write this in the margins of track changes about <laughs> his bio? I don't think so, you know? Well, Anne Frank, who wrote an extraordinary book when she was still 16, wrote, One of the many questions that have often bothered me is why women have been and still are thought to be so inferior to men. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> this is not a question that just occurs to some women. <laughs> I think it occurs probably to all women who... Um, who want to be respected for for what they what they're doing and what they think? I think uh, part of the problem is that for for thousands of years, <clears throat> women were not allowed the educational and career opportunities mm. that men were. And if you learn just enough reading, writing, and math to run your husband's household, you're going to appear to be sort of stupid, right, compared to these highly educated men that are involved in politics and trade. And so I, I think this reputation is is undeserved, that being limited in terms of your, your edu education and business opportunities, you aren't going to know as much. And then you just, you multiply this by generation upon generation. And yes, we're thought of as being, you know, not as, as uh, talented in many aspects as men are. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is Eleanor Herman, New York Times bestselling author, and we'll get to that later. Her latest book, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power, published by William Morrow. So where does that the phrase, off with her head, come from? Um, well, it, it came initially occurred to me when I, I sat down a few years ago to read a book on Cleopatra. Um, I saw all of these similarities between what the Roman patriarchy was doing to take down a smart, powerful uh, woman, Cleopatra. I, I saw the similarities with what had happened to Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, and I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about taxation or immigration or foreign relations. I'm just talking about let's criticize a woman for her appearance, her unlikability. Let's slut shame her. That's what I'm talking about. And, you know, at the 2016 Republican convention, um, there was all of this lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And it, it reminded me of um, what they said about Marie Antoinette, you know, off with her head is just one step beyond lock her up. Um, and there, there's, you know, off with her head is, is the price that women pay who um, do not learn from all these other chapters in the misogynist handbook to go back into their place quietly and, and let men um, have the power. Some of them have really been off with their head victims. You write, quote, 
In each woman's story, woman's story, I discovered organized smear operations, churning and unfounded ac accusations of sexual improprieties and criticisms of her ambition, untrustworthiness, appearance, and unlikability. And you note a clear pattern, I'm quoting again, mm -hmm. of vilification across the millennia and throughout history to bring down powerful individuals suffering from chronic no-penis syndrome. <laughs> That's, that's what we all seem to suffer from. So, uh, you, why do you think this, the, the, there were these organized smear operations constantly? And we'll get into some of the ones that we're seeing today uh, a little later in this conversation. I, I think that um, there, there's just a focus of blaming the women, whether it's Adam and Eve um, you know, Louis the Sixteenth of, of France was the king with all the power. His wife Marie Antoinette was certainly influential, but but had no legal power. And yet, the the furor leading up to the French Revolution was almost all for her. Yeah. Louis was looked upon as being fat, lazy, sort of stupid. But uh, Marie Antoinette was seen as a uh, a pedophile, a lesbian, mm -hmm. a slut. The, the booklets they wrote about her were just disgusting. Some of them were lovingly hand illustrated with her big skirts up over her head, having sex with mm. anybody who real por pornographic writings in many cases. Yeah. yeah. So that that was a way of bringing her down. Yes. Yes, and uh, she was the most despised woman, I think, until probably Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but we have others. Catherine de' Medici was blamed as a plotter of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Uh, yes, and how, how you know, much I of the story is that? I cannot believe it. And what I've learned into this deep dive into the, the histories of certain powerful women is that sometimes, quite often actually, one or two contemporary enemies would write something very nasty about them. And with all of the other writings, the stories going on, the blame the woman one also is always the most popular. It sells the most books and, and pamphlets. So Catherine de' Medici uh, was Italian and she ended up being the, the queen mother of France. When she was 40, her husband was killed in a, a jousting accident. So she ruled for her son who was very young. And then when he died, she ruled for the uh, the next one. Her sons were sort of crazy. So she she did the best she could uh, during a religious civil war where Huguenots and Catholics were, were battling each other to keep the country together, to, to try to stop the war. She bribed and cajoled and flattered and threatened, and she did everything she could for um, about 11 years. Then there was the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, where um, uh, Huguenots uh, were massacred by the thousands by Catholics. And uh, several Huguenots went to Geneva, which was uh, Protestant and safe for them, and wrote books about who was behind this horrible massacre. And one of them said she was behind it because she was the most evil human being to ever exist. Mm -hmm. And that is the book that just truly damned her reputation for all time. Now, bear in mind that after the massacre, she spent the remaining 17 years of her life trying to stop the religious civil war. Again, as she had 
before the massacre. And she traveled all over uh, France, bouncing around on a donkey. She was often in in pain with arthritis. She was in her 60s. Um, and so I think this day and age, if she had done all that for peace, she, she'd win the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, you know, why would she, in the middle of her life, devoted to peace, say, oh, to hell with it. We have all the Huguenots in town for a wedding. Let's kill them all, right? And then go back to working for peace again. It just doesn't make any sense. So she... <laughs> She, she was blamed for something she didn't do, and that's the story that wound up lasting longest. As far as I can tell, it is far more likely that her crazy son, the king did it, or his brother, who was very ambitious and wanted a name for himself, or a general. There were all kinds of possibilities. Uh, there is one report that she actually, there was a meeting about this, and she, she argued very fiercely against hurting any of the Huguenots. Um, but they didn't listen to her. So that's the report that's come down, uh, but no one pays attention to it because it's it's much more fun to imagine this, this black widow, kind of like a witch or a spider figure, um, plotting the massacre of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. And Anne Boleyn was blamed for the way that Henry VIII treated his ex-wife. She wound up being beheaded. Yeah, she was another off-with-her-head uh, victim. Um, there, again, there's the story of this wily, uh, ambitious, manipulative woman causing this poor, uh, helpless man to do things that he ordinarily would never have done. And you know, Henry VIII w was not a, um, a shy and retiring person that was easily bullied into doing something he didn't want to. After Anne Boleyn uh, was, was dead and buried, he continued to treat his wives and his, uh, his children horribly you know, until his death. It wasn't Anne Boleyn's fault. Um, another thing that most stories neglect to mention about her is that when Henry VIII first started pursuing her to be his mistress, she ran away from court to stay at her family home in the country for a year. She just wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, finally, he convinced her that he would have his marriage annulled and marry her, and only then did she go along with it. Your chapter headings uh, give a, a sense of what... Uh, has happened to the women over the years. L let me give some of the, the chapter headings. Her overweening ambition. Why doesn't she do something about her hair? <laughs> the dangers of female hormones. The alarming shrillness of her voice. The mysterious <clears throat> unlikability of female candidates. She's a bitch and other animals. She's a witch and other monsters. Also, her sexual depravity. Uh, so now I could see some of these things also being applied to men, and yet we don't hear them uh, used to put down men in the same way. No, we don't. And, you know, in writing— Why doesn't Donald Trump do something about his hair? I don't know. I mean, I wish he would, but it's probably too late. Um, the— <laughs> The way to determine whether misogyny is involved in a situation, I mean, because I asked myself, maybe this maybe this woman was a terrible human being. Maybe this candidate is a terrible candidate. How do you know when misogyny is involved? So I found a really easy way to determine that. <clears throat> 
and that is to change the genders, mm. talk about the other gender and see if it sounds okay and it makes sense. So I have some examples for you, which I, I think will are very eye-opening, if I may. Please. So these are statements, <clears throat> pardon me, that were said in recent elections about female candidates, and I've switched the gender to male. So I'm going to read them and you tell me if they sound really stupid and weird, okay? Mm. Men who are sweet, cheery, and non-confrontational will be rewarded. Mm. Okay. He should show a little modesty. Mm. <laughs> He's too bitchy. Humility is not one of his strong points. <laughs> Unbelievable. In the same week, he wore the same suit twice. I mean, I honestly think Donald Trump has worn the same exact baggy blue suit for seven years. Nobody says anything about that. He doesn't have the right sort of body to be on TV. Have you ever really? heard that Somebody said, about- said that about, about a woman? Oh, my God. Oh, they're always criticizing a woman for her, her Thighs are too big or waist. I mean, never men. I mean, if that was a qualification for men, no men would be on TV. Especially the ones with the big bellies who are in Congress. Okay. He should smile a lot more. There are dozens (laughs) more, but let's end with my personal favorite, which is he launched his political career in the bedroom by sleeping with a powerful woman. So, So you hear how weird they sound when you make them like the men, but when you switch them back to female, they just sound sort of normal, right? Who was that last one applied to in reality? Uh, Kamala Harris. Uh huh. Well, Kamala Kamala Harris, you know, extremely well qualified. And uh, in the mid 90s, she had had a relationship for about a year with Willie Brown, who was a, um, Mm -hmm. a powerful California politician. Um, so they, so everything she's achieved since then apparently is is because she slept with Willie Brown. Well, so. she has a law degree. She has served as the San Francisco District Attorney, the California Attorney General, a U.S. Senator, and yet that sort of thing is said about her. Uh, she's also been portrayed as a witch. Yeah, most. Do, do, do you think that it matters that she's also a woman of color? Or is that uh, just uh, an, another factor? Oh, I think it's another factor. I, I think powerful women of color have two strikes against them. White women have one strike and it's hard enough. But, you know, to be a woman of color, mm, that's that's doubly hard. Um, so I, the, the witch thing and the Medusa thing with the snakes for hair, you know, they're, they're applied equally to women of all colors. Yeah, it's, it's just to literally demonize them to make them look like a monster. I mean, no sooner had Joe Biden announced Kamala Harris as his VP pick two years ago, than the meme started sprouting Joe and the hoe. You know, because of her relationship with with Willie Brown all, 30 years ago um, and uh, memes with her you know, with a long pointy nose, green skin on a on a broomstick, a witch hat flying around. These ha- these things happen to all women who vie for political power. Uh, Facebook chose not to remove an altered video of Nancy Pelosi in which she appeared to be falling down drunk. Right. Who claims she she just doesn't drink. And and Mm -hmm. I believe her. I think somebody would notice if she drank at banquets. Um, It it was deliberately slowed down so that she looked like she was slurring her speech. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, And so that means that people actually have to work hard at doing these things uh, to demean women. Now, 
They do do some stuff to demean polit- male political opponents as well, don't they? Oh, yes. I, obviously, we, we live in a, a brutal and vicious time with uh, social media hmm. where, um, you know, it used to be you'd have to write a letter and put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, you know, send it to someone personally that you were threatening or I- insulting. Um, but now you just create something horrible and you push a button and within seconds it can it can fly around the world. Um, so it's it's rough for people of both genders. But there are certain things, as you just mentioned, um, that are reserved for women. She's a witch. She's a bitch. Her voice is shrill. She's unlikable. Um, things like that. And also the children thing. You know, if, if a woman doesn't have children, then she's selfish. If she has children and wants to run for public office, then she's selfish. Mm-hmm. Why isn't she home taking care of the children? Amanda Hunter of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation told you, and I'm quoting, when women seek executive office, they have to really satisfy both gender stereotypes, show they're strong enough to lead, but also have to maintain a level of femininity to keep their likability. And yeah. can they use humor in the same ways that some male politicians can? They have to be really careful. If, if they use too much humor, they're going to look weak and silly. If they don't use any humor, they're going to look like the witch and the bitch. You see, it's, it's, they're, they're, it's like they're walking on a tightrope over the Grand Canyon, uh, juggling 15 balls in the air with a full tea service on their head. I mean, they can do it, but it's really hard. It's a lot easier for men. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Eleanor Herman. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of her book, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power. To do that, just go online to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give and then the number 2, WBAI.org, or 212-209-2950. But don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large, and we thank you very much. And return now to Eleanor Herman, who is the New York Times bestselling author of a number of books, Sex with Presidents, Sex with Kings, Sex with the Queen, and several other works of popular history. Uh, she's hosted... Lost Worlds for the History Channel, The Madness of Henry VIII for the National Geographic Channel, and and America Facts versus Fiction for the American Heroes Channel. And uh, she's her latest project is this new book, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power. It is published by William Morrow. And I'm so grateful that you took a little bit of time out of all your busy schedule to talk to us. 
<laughs> I love talking about this. It's just so much fun. It's And I really want to get the word out so that people can can start examining what's going on, what they read, what they think. And, and then there again, I don't want people to, you know, come down too hard on anyone, but just just to realize that, you know, the language you, we use, the way we see things is, is just not always fair, is it? Where does fear come into this conversation? Doesn't misogyny often involve a fear of women's bodies as life-giving forces? Yeah, I think that's where it originated um, thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, it's really hard to say because, because women is, have that power. Yes, we wouldn't I mean, this, be here without a woman, men and we women. Wouldn't. And if if you go back, say I don't know, ten, twenty thousand years, and women are the only ones who can bring forth life from their bodies, you know, living mm-hmm. babies, that I think they were looked upon as as magical creatures uh, with great power that that they could wield uh, when they wanted to. And I think that's why witches have come down to us as being much scarier than warlocks. You know, warlock, I mean, it's a word you hardly ever hear. Even in the in the book of Exodus, um, in the Hebrew Bible, it said you should not suffer a sorceress Mm -hmm. to live, not a sorcerer. So I think there was this ancient fear of women's magical powers and you know in in this country all the hurricanes were named after women until 1979 but now if you are have a a, a boy child you're very unlikely to name him ian <laughs> I, I well maybe not this week but <laughs> ian is a lovely name and i'm sure there will be many babies named ian in a while uh, on the other hand, I'm wondering about the word, the name Donald. You write, imagine Donald Trump as a woman. Would Donna Trump have been viewed as, as blunt, honest, and refreshing? And would she have won an election? I think the answer is clearly no. I, you know, it, it worked for him because he's a man and he could up, get up there and bluster and boast and insult people. And it's acceptable. If, if a woman did that, she she never would have gotten anywhere. You know, if she had had three husbands, um, had adulterous relationships on all three of them. I mean, just think they about grab it. Grab men at the crotch. You grab them and then boasted yeah. about it, right? I don't, I don't think it would have worked for Donna Trump. I really don't. On the other hand, you ask, what if Hillary Clinton was a man? Would Howard Clinton have been portrayed uh, in a thousand Pinterest images as a witch stirring a cauldron or riding a broomstick. And would they have um, discussed the, the width of Howard Clinton's ankles? <laughs> would they accused him of uh, having a, a shrill, grating voice and laugh? I, I don't think so. Would he have been called a bitch on <laughs> countless T-shirts? <laughs> nope. Uh, and would and you ask would his thoughtful circumspect answers to media questions have been seen as inauthenticity secretiveness and untrustworthiness no those are adjectives almost always used for women so why do you think that is after all um some of those things seem to be perfectly uh, admirable qualities 
Which one? The untrustworthiness? Or no, the no, no. Well, uh, circumspect answers. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I, uh, she was accused of doing something uh, that Donald Trump is now arguing he was allowed to do, but she wasn't allowed to do. So we're seeing the, the double standard at work there as well in terms right, of Right. We're seeing the Adam and Eve blame the woman, give the men a pass thing, which is very real. Now, why do you think this country in particular, other countries have had women as leaders? It's often been in troubled situations, as we saw in, even just recently with Julia Gillard in, in Australia. Oh, yeah. But um, the U.S. has never had a president. And right. the U.S. Congress, even today, is not 50 percent women. No, we have certainly made progress. And with each election, um, there are a few more women in Congress. So it's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, I'm, I'm heartened by any progress I, I see. I, as I point out in the book, there, there is a difference uh, where you see the, um, the women uh, prime ministers or presidents. It's, it's in a, a situation uh, where there's, there's a parliamentary um, type of government. So uh, in this country, there's a general election where everybody goes out and votes for president. Um, whereas in the UK and, and many other places, it's it's within the party that that those individuals uh, vote for their leader. Not not everybody in the country. So I think that's that's the difference. Well, women have been elected governors over the years, mm -hmm. but even then, I don't think it's been in uh, half the states. No, no, not at all. And then those women who are governors are often the subject of such vicious threats and harassment. Look at um, Gretchen Whitmer, that uh, a, a group called the Wolverine Watchmen were going to kidnap her and uh, possibly behead her. Yes. <laughs> well, they have gotten away with it, but has anybody gone to jail for that? all be they're being tried you know it, it takes forever to, to put these people to, on a trial these days yeah you have uh, added a, a guide for reporters that ultraviolet has put together now there are too many of them but uh do some of them really strike you as uh <laughs> the most common problems yes um for instance, there's and this was a guide that came out. You can uh, open up to page three forty four if you want to. And no, I, I already have my little list prepared oh. here because everyone asked me this question. But um, so this guide was prepared uh, for the twenty twenty election, mm -hmm. knowing that it was going to be horrible. That um, you know twenty sixteen had just been filled with sexism and misogyny because of. Hillary Clinton being on the ticket and Hillary, just like Julia Gillard before her, who was the prime minister of uh, Australia from 2010 to 2013, felt that uh, she should not address the sexism, that uh, she was not going to dignify it with a response. She's just going to ignore it. And both she and Julia Gillard said later that that had been a mistake, that if they had it to do over again, they, they definitely would have called people out on it. So anyway, this uh, women's uh, political organization called Ultraviolet put out a media guide in 2020. And 
um, for instance, they, they and they send it to all the media, you know, whether it's a website or a radio station or a blog or whatever. So they ask things like, are you punishing women and celebrating men for doing the same thing? Um, for instance, if you look at ambition, uh, Kamala Harris was criticized even by allies of Joe Biden as being too ambitious. You know, she would want to be president. She should not want to be, you know, Biden was vice president, had been vice president and was running for president. Why shouldn't his vice president? Whereas when Paul Ryan became John McCain's running mate in 2008, he was applauded for being a young, good looking, ambitious Washington insider. So so there's that. Um, Are you putting too much focus on appearance? Which happens, you know, 90 percent of that is on women's appearance. Are you focusing on tone of voice, shrill, bitter, angry? So it goes on and on, um, all of these chapters in what I call the misogynist handbook. And I feel that it did make a difference, that uh, certainly mainstream media um, did not repeat uh, these things that have been out there on social media, they just mention them um, because you don't want to give it more fuel, right? And so I, I think that really was somewhat helpful. Well, it depends on what part of the mainstream media we're talking about, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I think if some of these questions might be answered differently on Fox than they would be on MSNBC or CNN. Uh, possibly, yes. Uh, some of the the questions are really interesting, like, uh, are you commenting on her attractiveness? Are you hypersexualizing a candidate or politician? Are you using words like unlikable or unelectable? Which are only reserved for women. Really? There are, there are no dislikable men out there? You know... Um... Oh, it was Amanda. It was Amanda Hunter's organization, the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, um, which is um, nonpartisan. They try to get women elected, whether they're Republican, Democrat, or um, or independent. And she said that studies have, have found that men, you know, men can be unlikable. That many people who voted for Trump didn't really like him. They didn't like his boasting. They didn't like his grabbing the whatever. But they they liked his positions on, say, immigration and the economy. Whereas a woman, if a, if a woman is unlikable, it, it doesn't matter what her positions are. People are, just aren't going to vote for her. No. How much of this also just comes from the uh, nature of the media? You uh, mentioned that according to a spring 2018 article in the Columbia Journalism Review, 90 percent of the top editors at the 135 most widely distributed newspapers were white. Seventy three percent were male. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they might very well have uh, an influence on how women, uh, uh, prominent women are, are covered in the news. Right. The, the theory is, at least, that if you get more women and um, people of color elected to top media positions, not just reporting, but also <clears throat> being um, you know, editors in chief and, and high level management, that the racism and sexism will not be as prevalent. My guest is Eleanor Herman, whose latest book from William Morrow is Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM. 
and streaming live at WBAI.org, you end the book by looking forward and examining ways to rip up the misogynist handbook once and for all. Um, is that any more likely than eliminating racism or anti-Semitism? I think it's unlikely to happen anytime soon or uh, to eradicate it entirely. I think we start inhaling misogyny and probably to a certain extent racism um, with our first breath. We just grow up in a particular time, place, culture, family, uh, religious affiliation. As little kids, we just look around and absorb all of this stuff, and it's there. It's it's part of us. So well, race I, I think became, race and and uh, sex became an issue when Joe Biden uh, decided to name somebody to the Supreme Court. Uh, race and sex are always going to be an issue, and when you combine the two, it's even more volatile. Uh, on the other hand, we do have the wife of a Supreme Court justice in the news in a very negative way. Uh, would you consider that bad? Um, I, I, <laughs> there again, you, you go to the question of, I mean, is this really sexism or is what she's doing just totally wrong? I mean, I, I do. And the same thing with the whole Meghan Markle story. Mm. You, you know, when when you start to blame women the, the wife, let's say, the, the Eve character, for what the, uh, what the Adam character is, is doing, I, I do have a problem with that. I think we need to look at, uh, you know, the men have to have responsibility. Eve, I'm not going to eat that apple, right? So, so Harry could stand up to Megan and say, I'm not going to mm. um, abandon my family. Uh, and uh, Clarence Thomas, Thomas could say, I'm not going to listen to your election denialism. So there, there's always um, a little bit of misogyny, I think, when you focus shrilly on uh, harsh criticism of a woman. But there, there are. But she gets more attention because she happens to be the wife of a Supreme Court justice. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Clearly. So she was. Go ahead. Well, if she was just, you know, the lady down the block who would care. Is it okay to call Georgia Maloney a fascist? I'm sorry. Who's Georgia Maloney? The, the new prime minister of Italy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because because she is a fascist. That. Yeah, I think she's made that clear. And if, if, if it was Giorgio Maloney, you'd also call him a fascist. So that's how you know you're on track and not being sexist. Near the end of the book, you have a section headed preparing women candidates for the onslaught. How can you prepare women for what they're going to go through here? There are um, training programs for candidates um, that uh, you need to let them know you're going to be <clears throat> threatened on social media. Uh, and this is how politicians and candidates today communicate. They're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. This is how they reach voters, right? So it's not like they can just turn it off, but you're going to be th threatened with um, with being shot, with being hanged, uh, with being raped, with not being raped because you're too ugly. Your children are going to be threatened with kidnapping. Your dog is going to be poisoned. You, you need to... Be have uh, to understand what's coming and be mentally prepared for it. Because a lot of women, when they get into a race, you know, they, they're just like, I, I didn't sign up for this and I don't want to put my family through this and I'm just going to drop out or I'm not going to run again for the next election uh, if she if she did win the first time. So women need to be prepared for what's coming. 
You point out that in 2016, Hillary Clinton decided not to call out the misogyny. She just swatted it away gently as if it was just, Mm -hmm. you say, a vaguely disturbing gnat. Would it have (laughs) been better if she had said, this is misogyny and uh, uh, it should not be paid much attention to? In her case, I don't. No, I think no matter what she said is going to be very harshly. She was also married to a controversial figure. Yes. Yes, she was. Um, You know, one measure I call shaming the shamers. And Julia Gillard was probably in a a good position to do that. Um, You know, when her first day as prime minister, all of the newspapers were, you know, about what she wore uh, rather than what she said. And, And she said after leaving office that she would like to have called, you know, a a press conference and have all of these journalists there and say, what on earth are you doing? I mean, you're talking about my my jacket and my heels and my haircut and not what I'm saying about, you know, climate change and and joblessness. Like, what on earth is the matter with you that uh, and you and people women can also do this online. And in her final speech as Australia's prime minister, she said, what I am absolutely confident of is that it'll be easier for the next woman and the woman after that and the woman after that. But there hasn't been another woman following her as prime minister of Australia. That's right. And, and what I found is that Australia, I mean, I thought the U.S. was pretty sexist, uh, you know, with this cowboy mentality. Uh, but I think Australia is even worse. They treated her so mm. badly. It was just awful. So we have only a couple of minutes left. Is there something else that you think is important that we should be discussing? You know, I, I think um, I would just well, for like example, to example, what about where does the current debate over abortion come into this story? Yeah, you know, I think that on a certain level, and maybe this doesn't rise to the level of, of conscious thought, but but certainly um, on the political level, that it's about keeping women in their place, because if they have all of these kids, they can't get their university education and they, they have to stay home and, and you know bring up the kids and they can't run for public office and they can't they can't join the three white men sitting on those chairs interviewing for for the job. Um, I, I think there there is misogyny involved in that issue. Uh, I think there are many other things involved. Uh, Many people probably really do care about every spark of human life and bringing it into this world to be loved and nurtured, which is a religious factor, a a religious factor as well. So there's a lot there. But what I see, especially when you look at the fact that in most states that are banning the procedure, they they really don't do anything in terms of prenatal care for poor women, for uh, making sure that they can afford daycare. I, they're, they're just so you know, gun safety. If you really cared about young human lives, why wouldn't you look at the whole picture? Why would you just want to bring the baby into the world and then? not give a damn about it. So that's why I think there's a strong current of misogyny involved in the abortion issue. Now, I did mention at the beginning of this interview that this is a witty book. Uh, That is uh, an important part of the tone of what you're writing here. Why did you think (laughs) think it was a good idea to, to make it kind of 
funny at times. Dishy. You know, I I can't write any other way. I just I see I see the world as a kind of dark comedy. And I just, you know, some things are so stupid that I just, I, I like to make fun of, fun of them. And I think also, you know, misogyny is a very somber topic. I don't want to have my readers slitting their wrists by the time they get <laughs> to the last page. And I, I think that when something does look huge and scary and dominable, um, that it, with wit, hmm. I can shrink it down to the point where it's this annoying, yapping puppy at my ankles and just laugh at it because it's just so stupid right like when you when you read my book and you see all of these examples of how dumb misogyny is mm. um then then you can really laugh at it and i think it makes it very clear in a non-painful way of what we're dealing with here it also is sad because any number of women who might have done wonderful things were prevented from being able to do them they are. And it's also sad, not just for the individuals, but for the nation that, um, you know, in a place, let's look at Afghanistan, they're losing 50 percent of yeah. the talent pool, the doctors, the, the researchers, the, the the people with amazing patents and, and inventions, um, the scientists like they're, they're locked up in blue bags at home cooking. So, you know, the whole, the whole world loses when you do that kind of thing. And I have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being a wonderful Thank guest. Thank you. I El enjoyed it. Eleanor Herman, her book, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power, published by William Morrow. And that brings us to the end of our show. My great thanks to my audio engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to Kaziah Glow, the executive producer of London Lopez at Large, for all of the important work that they do throughout the week. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our nearly 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed one million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And you might want to check us out on Twitter. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address this is Leonard Lopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Actually, we're not going to be on next week because we have to have work done on our transmitter, and we also owe a lot of money uh, for the transmitter. Uh, upkeep and the rent so we're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to please make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to wbai.org right now that's give and the number 2 wbai.org or 212-209-2950 we need your help to keep bringing you this unique in-depth content information you don't usually get anywhere else and as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Leonard Lopez at large, at large right now can receive a free copy of the book we've been discussing, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power by Eleanor Herman. So make that call now, 212-209-2950. Go online to give to WBAI.org. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member of what we call a BAI buddy. Uh, for 10, 15, 20, whatever amount you can afford a month and help us uh, continue bringing you these programs. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you when we're back.